Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. So last week we kicked off this series talking about that part of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done. And we talked about the fact that the the kingdom of God is not just something that one day we will get into heaven and be able to experience the kingdom of God, but the the kingdom of God is something that God wanted us to walk in and and, and to, to be a part of while we're here on earth, that the kingdom of God, he tells us to pray that his kingdom would come. And that Greek word uh, was the word basileia, or basileia. <clears throat> and the word basileia meant that you were surrendered to God's rule and authority, not only the, the area and the community, but each individual heart, that we would be completely surrendered. And and last week we talked about the fact that, you know, just like us, at, at, when we know that uh, we're getting ready to pass away or, or, you know, we plan things in advance and we'll write out our will so that, that uh, our, our possessions and, and things will be taken care of and, and distributed the way that we desire it to, that God wrote out his will in the word of God for us and over the rest of this series, we're going to look at some of the things that the Bible clearly says are the will of God that are part of the kingdom of God coming into our life. And today we're going to start with uh, God's will for unity. This is one of the, the things that is really one of the, the only prayers that you read in Scripture that God didn't answer for His Son is the prayer on unity. You, you would see him pray over the bread and, and break the bread and bless the bread and ask for God to multiply it and he would multiply it. He, he would pray for the sick and they would be healed. He would cast out demons in, in the name of, of, of the Father and, and it would be done. But there was one prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 when he was with his disciples at the Last Supper that, that has not been answered yet. And the reason why I say yet is because it will be answered. Because the Bible says that God is coming back for a bride without spot and blemish. That means that there, there, there can't be a lot of division. There can't be, it's not going to be multiple brides of, of different denominations and things. It's going to, he's coming back for a bride, a church without spot or blemish. And when you look throughout scripture, he talks about the, 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 that he desires that we would love one another and, and all of these things. And so if, if, we don't, if, if we are divided, then there's still blemish, there's still a stain on the church. But we know that one day there will be some unity that, that comes. And I want to read that today. We're going to start in John 17 with the prayer that Jesus prayed. And then we're going to build off of that. John 17 verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only. Talking about the disciples that were in the room. This wasn't, his, this wasn't just his prayer for the, the, the disciples that were still in the room. At this time there were only 11 disciples in the room because Judas had already left in us. And he's saying, I'm not, I'm not just asking for these 11 people to be in unity. But I pray for also for those who will believe through their word that they may all be one just as you 
the Father are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us. Well, who are the people who would believe in his word? How do we know about the story of Jesus? By what the disciples wrote, by the, the messages that they preached, by the things that, that's us. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. He's talking about you. This is his will for you. Anyone who has believed that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins, this is God's will for you. Come on, turn to the neighbor you chose to ignore and say, he's talking to you too. Come on, wake up, make sure you're paying attention. This is God's will. I mean, how many of us fall on our face when we're first served? And we're like, God, we want your will for our life. Show us your will for our life. God, will do anything you want us to do. Just show me your will. Well, right here is part of his will. He says, this is my will, not only for the people who are in this room right now, but for the people who believe in the words of the people that are in this room, that they would be one, they would be united as we are one, and so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then the glory that you get, have given me, verse 22, me, uh, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Do you see the word that is repeated over and over and over and over in this? One. Anytime you divide one by, uh, you, uh, not, anytime one is divided, it automatically is going to become two or three or four or, or 179 or, or whatever it is. His prayer is that every piece of the puzzle would come together and be one. Even when you talk about the whole body of Christ, when Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12, yes, that, that goes to individual local bodies and stuff, but that goes to the body of Christ as a whole, that he wants us joined together and working with one another, that every part of the body would be sufficient and, and support one another, not in competition with one another. May they be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them even as you have loved me. As I said, this is the one prayer that hasn't been answered from Jesus yet because we still see that there, there isn't a oneness. There isn't a unity. There, there, there is division by denomination. There is division by race. There is division by age. You've got young people churches and you've got older people churches. Like I remember when we uh, were, were coming to plant the church, I actually had a pastor who came to me, and he was a he's a, 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 a amazing man of God, and I, I think he's probably his upper seventies, about eighty years old, and he was like, Brandon, you, you know, why don't you just come be a part of our church, and you can have a youth church here. You don't have to do it like well, I can preach to the old people, and you can have a youth church here. And I was like, brother, uh, like uh, that's that means a lot that you would think of me that, that that you would want me to be a part of what you're doing and everything, but. I didn't come to plant a youth church. I had, I, I, this isn't just a youth group. Like I, my, my prayer for our church is that we would be a multi-denominational, multi-generational, multi-racial church that, that, that spans across all of those things that we join together under the one name that matters. And that's not the name Brandon Holly or iHeart Church. That's the name of Jesus Christ.
And here he prays this. And 2,000 years later, it seems like the church is more divided than ever. And even among churches, there's more division than ever. Like in, in local bodies, it, there, there's splits and things. I remember when we first came to, to, to Beckley area and we were telling people that we're going to plant a church. The question that we got asked all the time is, well, what church are you splitting off of? No, that, that's not. Our pastor laid hands on us, sent us here to, to plant a church. We're not... We're not being split off of anybody. We're being sent by somebody to plant this church. And if this is what was the will of God for our life, then it needs to be part of every believer needs to make this a point that they want this to be part of their life. So what do we do in order to see unity brought among the churches? I'm going to give you four requirements or four things that we need to see to have in our life as individuals and within our churches and within our families and things that we need to begin to fight for in order that we can have the unity that God desires for us to have. The first thing that we have to do if we're going to see unity is we have to be people who walk in love. And I'm not talking about Love like you wear the shirt that says, I love New York. Or I'm not talking about the love that, that somebody says, oh, I love that pizza. That's such good pizza. Or, or, or I love that food or, or that type of thing. That's not the type of love that I'm talking about. Jesus, when he was in, before he prayed this prayer, he gathered his disciples together and he washes their feet in John chapter 13. After he washes their feet, he tells them, no servant's greater than their master. The very thing that you just saw me do, you need to do that. What is he telling them? You need to begin to serve people. You need to begin to clean up the mess that's in people's lives. When he was washing their feet, like if I, if I said, we're going to have a feet washing service this morning, some of y'all would be like, I'm getting out of here. Ain't nobody touching my feet, and I'm not touching anyone else's feet. But all of us walked in here with shoes. All of us, you know, came in. Uh, we had pavement out there. They were walking around dirt roads with donkeys and horses and animals walking up and down the roads, and, and, and they're sweating and everything. And, and so all that stuff is just caped on their feet. The, the Son of God is washing donkey dew off of his disciples' feet. And then he says, the thing that I did, I want you to do. And then it's amazing, right after he says that, he says this, and a new commandment that I'm going to give to you. I want you to love one another. Jesus was showing that he was washing their feet out of a love for them. That he literally loved them more than he loved his position as the son of God. That he's going to get down, take off of his robe, which represented his position, his teaching thing. And take up the towel of a servant and begin to wash his disciples' feet. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Why, how do we know how? He just showed it. He just showed, I love you so much that I will get down and I will wash your dirty, stanky feet. That's how much I love you. And he had already told him what he was going to do about laying his life down. And he was getting ready to demonstrate that in just a few hours. And he said, by this, all people would know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. 
The reason why that most people don't see Christ in us is because we're not showing love one for another. Jesus said the thing that the world needs to see the most is that you love one another. That's how you're going to know that you're my disciples. John later wrote in the book of 1 John, which Pastor Q read to you guys last week. He starts reading this, and I look over at Les, who was standing beside me. I was like, he's preaching my sermon next week. But you're going to get it on repeat and hear it again in case you weren't here or you forgot it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, and he knows God. He's, John is even saying one of the things that shows that you truly know God is that you love one another. For anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You can't say that you know God, but not love people. You can't say that you love God and, 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 and have hatred in your heart toward people or, or anger and, and frustration toward people. God wants us to love. In fact, it's not even something for us to, to, that we even are required to have to kind of muster up and, and hope that we can figure out how to love people. When the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, one of the things that He brings is love. Galatians 5 verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit or the evidence of the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, <clears throat> goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, self-control. And it got against these things, there is no law. Listen, do you have these things in your life? If you put your name in this, could you say, that Brandon is loving. Brandon is joyful. You don't have to worry about me. You, you, Mickey is loving. Jeremy is loving. Branson, are you loving? This is a litmus test of whether we're walking in the Spirit of God. Are we walking in love? Do we have joy? Do we have peace in our heart? Are we walking with patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? And if we aren't, then there are areas of our life that we need to surrender to the power of God's Spirit. It's not that we need more of it. The Spirit of God is inside of us. We just need to be obedient to the Spirit of God inside of us. And choose to walk in these things. We talked about last week how Matthew 7 says that you would know a tree by its fruit. When you look at that list of things, do you see that in you? Because that's the fruit of what a believer should have in her life. John continued in verse 9 and he said, And in this love, the love of God would be made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that who, would, who might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but because he loved us. He sent his son to become a propitiation or a substitute. He took our sins upon him. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. What's he saying? He took their sins upon him as a demonstration of love and to forgive love. And God is saying that's the same type of love that we need to show to other people. 
And we're not holding their sins against them. Jesus could have held our sins against us. But he chose to walk in love and not hold our sins against us. Not one of us has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. None of us have seen God face to face. But many of us have seen God in other people who showed us love when we don't deserve it. Who in your life doesn't deserve the love that God wants to use you to show that to them? That God wants to show himself to, to them through the love that you give to them. And then you may say, well, you didn't, he, they don't deserve it. You don't know what they've done. You don't know what they've said. You don't know. But you didn't deserve it either. And that's the whole point. Jesus said, love as I have loved you. You didn't deserve it, but I gave it. They may not deserve it, but I want you to give that love. When people see love in action is when they see God. When people see that you don't hold their past against them. When people see that you're not making judgments just based on their appearance and what they look like or even what they may smell like or or, or whatever. I mean, you may even smell alcohol or, or weed or something like that on somebody. But can you still love them even though you know that what they're doing isn't right? And sometimes showing them that love is going to be what shows them God. I mean, he's saying, John is saying the thing that Christians need to be marked by, if there is anything that we should be known for, it's love. He goes on in verse 20, he says, But if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love uh, uh, his brother. Uh, for who, <clears throat> he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he hasn't seen. This commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must, must, must commandment not a choice must love his brother and see what we do a lot of times is we go to that earthly love it's like well I love him but I ain't gonna forgive him I love him but I ain't talking to them. I love them, but, and then we give a big old long list of things that we tell stories about them that sound like we hate the person. But I love them. Look, guys, love is not a word. It's not just a, it's not a word. It should be something that we, we put into action. It's got, we cannot just say we love people. We actually have to do it. Romans chapter 12, it, verse 9 says this, don't pretend to love people. One translation says, don't say you love people. Actually love them. Really love them. He's wanting us to show that same unconditional love that we didn't deserve to other people. 
Hate what is wrong. See, here's the thing that we mess up, and Paul's trying to explain it. You don't need to hate the person. You need to hate the sin. You love the person, but you hate the wrong that they've done. You've got to separate it. Remember, Paul talked about in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against principalities and things. One of the biggest things that you have to begin to do is divide that person from the sin that they've done and things. That's, that's one of the ways that you can begin to love people who have hurt you. It says hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring one another. When you look at this, love is, is it's, it's not an option. And the other thing that it's not, it's not up to us to define what love is. Because God already defined what love is. And if you have Sparkling Gems 1, this morning he starts in on the Greek, on all this list that we're going to read about what love is. He starts breaking all of that down and beginning over the next week. This was one of the things this morning, like, I'm praying, God, do you want me to preach this? Is, what, is this really what you want me to preach and, and everything? And I open up my, my devotional thing and I read the very first thing is 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. Now, if we're called to operate in love, here's the definition and here's the litmus test to whether we truly love people. Do we keep records of wrong? Do we give up? Because it says love endures. Do we... Are, are we rude? Are we, do, we, do we insist on having our own way? Because it, we just read that love doesn't insist on having its own way. That love isn't rude. That love isn't divisive. Love isn't doing those things. That, that love bears all. That love believes all. That love hopes all. That love endures all. And then love never ends. Aren't you glad that the love of Jesus hasn't ran out or expired on you? That even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, that his love still pursues us. What's he saying? Love doesn't cancel somebody. Love doesn't go and attack on somebody. When there's, when there's, divide, when there's a, a misunderstanding or disagreement, love tries to pursue peace. That's what that, that Romans 12, go, go read the rest of Romans chapter 12. And it talks about that, that as far as it lies within you, pursue peace with all men. Don't uh, overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Like all of those things, like he, he he's continues in that thought of the importance of love. Love goes into a conversation not to tear the other person down, but to begin to engage in a conversation where reconciliation can take place. 
So many of us, when we go talk to people, because Scripture tells us that we're supposed to go to talk to people, we just go tell them our mind. Well, that's not the purpose in talking to them. Because he said if you go talk to them, the, the purpose is that your brother may be won over. So the purpose is that reconciliation can take place. But the problem is many times we don't love people enough to even have the conversation with them. We don't love people enough to even have the opportunity to allow God to bring healing and restoration and things in place. There, there's nothing, by that definition of love, if two believers actually love each other, there should be nothing that they go into a room with the purpose of reconciliation and, and to try to find a middle ground or try to find some, some, some peace that should not be able to be satisfied. Because love hopes all, it bears all, endures all, it believes the best. That's the love that the Bible talks about. The second thing is, in order to preserve this, we have to refuse to entertain divisive talk. Now, by entertain, this can be you participate in or you give ear to. If you're participating in divisive talk, stop. But even if you're given ear to it, stop. Romans 16, verse 17 says, I appeal to you, brother. Some translations will say, verily, verily. Some translations will say, I beseech you. In other words, Paul is saying, I am begging you. Please listen. Like, he is adamant about this. This isn't something he's saying, hey, I kind of suggest. Can I give you... This is my opinion. You can take it or leave it. But he's saying, I beseech you, I appeal to you. Brothers, watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that, we have, that you have been taught. What was the doctrine that they had been taught? To love the love of God, the hope of God. And he says, avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, uh, they, they deceive the hearts of the naive. He's telling them, you, you've, got to, you've got to separate. When, when, when people are just trying to tear down the body of Christ, you have to separate from it. Because that is completely against Everything that Jesus demonstrated and everything that he, he showed when it comes to love. They will know you are my disciples by your love. They, this is a commandment I give you. Like over and over and over you will see this. And I will be 100% honest. I didn't want to preach this message. In fact, I had allotted three weeks for this, this thing. But I, I, I developed four sermons because I was going to leave this one out. Because any time a pastor gets up and preaches, there are always people who are like, well, he's just preaching at people. No, 
I'm not preaching at people. I realize I don't wrestle against people. This is a spirit that is in the church as a whole today, and it has to be addressed because it is dividing the body of Christ. And if we allow it to continue to divide the body of Christ, then we will not see the, the, the glory of God be revealed. We will not see the plans that God has for our communities. We will not see the revival and things that God, because God cannot bless Something that is in complete disobedience to the word. And I'll be honest, Pastor Aaron sent a, a message on Monday or Tuesday to, to us. And when I read this, I was like, okay, Pastor Q gets up and he preaches the first half of my sermon on, uh, in flow last Sunday. And then Aaron gives me a message that is the second half of my sermon on, on Tuesday, I was like, okay, I, I got it, Lord. This is the, the message that you want. Why? Because God hates division. Proverbs 6, verse 16 says, There are six things that God hates, and the seventh is an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a, a, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among believers, or one who sows division among believers. Now notice it says six things he hates, and the seventh is an abomination, which means it's even worse. And he lists six things, and the seventh one is somebody who's dividing the body of Christ. we're honest, we all have been guilty of this. Every single one of us have talked about somebody on TV that we don't like the way that they do things. Every single one of us have talked about somebody that we serve with. Oh, if they really knew who that person was, they wouldn't let them lead that team. Every single one of us have talked about another believer behind their back without them knowing. And this just said, that's not just something that God hates, that's something that's an abomination. So let's do an altar call. <laughs> I get into it right there. That should be enough. That should be enough for every one of us to fall on our face and say, God, forgive me that I attacked your body. God, forgive me for being a part of that. Forgive me for entertaining that. But many people, the first thing they do is begin to make the excuse of why they're validated in it. this but they said this they're hypocritical or whatever but what does the word say I mean Q you just read this morning from Colossians 3 that we're supposed to forgive those things not forgive if they ask not forgive if they deserve it 
but that we're supposed to be people who release and forgive one another. This type of behavior is the exact opposite of what Jesus prayed for in his church. But it's the exact thing that the enemy loves. He loves to cause issues over doctrinal issues. He loves to cause issues over disagreements. He loves to cause issues over diff different methodologies of ministry and, and, and things like that because he understands that it will hinder the church from being who God's called the church to be. He understands what Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, that a kingdom that is divided against itself, that it cannot stand. He knows that the very thing, if I can keep whispering things in their ear to keep them divided, it will make the church impotent. It will make the church unable to stand against my attacks. It's the very thing that keeps open doors for me to come in and destroy people's lives. Don't believe me. Read what Ephesians 4 says at the end of Ephesians 4. When it talks about not letting any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good that would build others up, that it might minister grace to the hearer. The very phrase right before it, he says, don't give place to the enemy. And then he goes into watching the way that you talk. That we're not supposed to tear people down with our tongues. We're supposed to build them up. And then he goes in and so cast off. It's another one of those places where you got to take off some things. Take off the strife. Take off the malice. Take off all of those things and the anger and stuff. And lay that aside. And be tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as compared to how Christ forgave you. Guys, you can't, you, you can't not see it when you read it. It's everywhere. Why is Paul having to write this to the church in Colossae? Why is he having to write it in the book of Romans? Why is he writing it in the book of 1 Corinthians? Why is he writing it uh, to the church in Ephesians? Because there was constant division within the church. Because it's one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses to try to destroy the kingdom of God. And we participate in it. But here's the thing. What's even worse is it keeps people from seeing Jesus in the church. Notice what Jesus said in John 17, 22. The glory that has been given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that... What's he saying? The whole purpose of this prayer for unity is this, that the world may know that you sent me and you loved me even as, and you loved them even as you have loved me. The very thing that the world needs to see is the love of Jesus. And until there's unity in the church, they're not going to see that. When we insist on having our way, when we insist on being right, I'm not just talking about over a disagreement. I'm talking about like in doctrine. When we say, if you believe that women can be preachers and you don't believe that women can be preachers, then we can't worship God together. Or you believe in gifts of the Spirit and you don't believe in gifts of the Spirit, well, we can't worship God together. Or you believe that, that it, it, there's eternal salvation no matter what. Or you believe that you could walk away from your salvation, then we can't worship God together. That's the very thing that he's talking about. 
That's why people are like, well, what, what denomination is your church? I need to see a doctrinal statement before I come to your church. Well, here's my doctrinal statement. The word of God is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way we're getting to heaven is through him. Beyond that, there's very few things that really impact eternity. I promise you there will be people who talked in tongues in heaven and people who didn't talk in tongues in heaven. I, there will be people who believed in women pastors and people who didn't believe in women pastors in heaven. There will be people who believed once saved, always saved, and there will be people who didn't believe once saved, always saved in heaven. There will be people who believe you sing from hymnals in heaven. There will be people who believe you sing from a screen. There will be people who wear skinny jeans in heaven, and there will be people who wear three-piece suits in heaven. Because it's not about those things, it's about Jesus. My Lord, when will we ever get this? We're so worried about all the little things that we forget who we do all the things for. We're so worried about can you raise your hands, not raise your hands, do you clap, do you not clap, that we forget who we're raising our hands to and who we're clapping for. This is about Jesus, it's not about you what Paul wrote when they're trying to divide the church in Corinthians chapter 3 he says some of you are saying I'm of Apollos and some of you are saying I'm of Paul some of you are saying I'm of Cephas and he's like who are any of those me and Cephas and, and, and Apollos were just people who planted seed and water seed it's Jesus who brings the increase it's nothing about me it's him So what do we do when we see a divisive person? Scripture clearly says, we already read one. It says you got to avoid it. Titus chapter 3. Paul is writing to one of the young pastors, and he's teaching him how to lead his church. If a person stirs up division, warn them once and then twice, and then have nothing to do with them. That seems extreme, but I love them. But do. but they obviously don't love you enough not to sow seeds of division in your heart. Because Hebrews is very clear that that bitterness and that unforgiveness and those things, those seeds that they're sowing into your heart, that it will defile you. Why do you want to be around someone who is consistently defiling your heart? I still have two more things. I'll give them to you quick. Number three, warn those people who are being divisive. It's what we just read in Titus chapter three. It's not enough, just ignore it. You gotta warn them. If you love them, you would tell them what you are doing is divisive. If you love people, even if it's just a little conversation and, and, and you start talking about somebody and it's, it's starting to hit gossipy and stuff, be like, oh, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Nah, we need to wrap this conversation up right now because this is divisive. This is starting to get, get out of just 
information. This is that old school. We're putting on the prayer line. Prayer lines have been used by the enemy for decades to separate and divide churches. You've got to warn them. You warn them twice, and then you walk away from it. And look, it's hard sometimes to establish these boundaries. I get it. But you can tell them, I love you. And I will talk to you about anything unless you're starting to talk divisive stuff. And that's where I have to draw a line. Because I don't need that in my heart. I don't need that in my life. I want to do my part to be a part of Jesus' prayer. I want to see unity in the church. And then it goes to the fourth thing. Is that we make Jesus' prayer our prayer. It's not enough just to pray something and then continue to give ear to it. Because as long as you're doing that, it's going to continue to affect. It's not enough to pray for unity and then go gossip about people because as long as you're doing that, that is the definition of hypocrisy. It's not enough to pray for unity and then continue to be divisive. Luke 6, Jesus taught him and he said, I I say to those who will hear, (laughs) notice that, I say to those who will hear. Because I can tell you this, I know I've been shouting and fired up and all that stuff on this message, but a lot of people won't hear anything that I just said. Because their heart's already been hardened. Hard ground doesn't receive seeds. Everything that I'm sharing, though, is Scripture. If you don't like this message, you don't like God's word. This isn't Brandon. This is the word of God. I didn't write any of it. I just read it. I say to those who will hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. You begin to pray for those people. You begin to pray that God will use you in some way. God will give you a way to bless them. God will give you a way. And when you're praying, you're not praying destruction on them. You're praying, God, bless them. Lord, help them. God, minister to them. God, deal with them. Like, God, just, just touch their families. God, what, I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not playing, praying death and destruction on them. Some of Jesus told us we're supposed to pray. I know David did it a whole lot. But I think Jesus' word trumps David's word. Anybody agree with that? And we need to go with Jesus' method over David's method. And when we do this, the world will see him. What better way to say your kingdom come than to allow it in our life so that the world sees him. This isn't about who's right or who's wrong. Listen, I can tell you this. Over the course of time, 
myself, our staff, ministry leaders, and we have made mistakes. We have not, there's not a perfect church anywhere in this world, and definitely not this one. But I can tell you this, every time that we see it's a mistake, we do what we can to correct the mistake. And that's all that we can do. And so when you hear this message and you're like, oh my God, that's me. He's preaching right at me. I feel so, no, all you can do is correct and try to move forward differently. That's the whole point, is to hear the word of God and take it in and let it bring forth the fruit. If you realize you're not loving, if you realize you're not walking in the fruit of the Spirit, again, God, test my heart. Show me what is hindering me, what is causing me. And if every one of us will work on this, like Jesus said, taking the plank out of our own eye, then we'll be able to help other people get the speck out of theirs. I want you to bow your head. And I want you to do an evaluation of your own heart. I want you to begin to ask God, God, speak to me. Show me. Show me. Have I been divisive? Have I, have I not been walking in love? Have I entertained it? Come on, if we're serious about wanting the will of God for our lives, I just read a ton of scripture about the will of God for your life. Now is the time to choose. Are you going to forgive? Are you going to release? Are you going to obey what he said? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.